Hey everybody, I'm Tyler Suders with the Consumer Technology Association. We are the owners and producers of CES, the largest, the most influential tech event on the planet. We are here to help you get CES ready. The upcoming show is January 7th through the 10th, 2020, as always in Las Vegas. And today we are talking about one of the more captivating areas of the show, that is gaming. So CES is where you find the latest hardware, software, and accessories. And this is for the panoply of gaming, whether you're on mobile, you're a PC gamer, or even consoles. And also the sector itself is becoming more real-time, more immersive seemingly by the quarter, right? So this is an area that is ripe for innovation. Take a look at the numbers and you can see why so many are so optimistic about this sector. CTA data shows that hardware sales here in the U.S. in 2019 will grow 3% year over year. And think about how heavy the market already is. Roughly 45% of U.S. homes now have a video gaming console. That's up from the year before. 15% of our homes now have VR headsets. You see where I'm going here. And 14% of us say we plan to buy VR headsets in the next year. So clearly this is a sector that is ripe for even further disruption and innovation. And today we're taking on the perspectives of two elements of the gaming sector that are a little bit disparate. First of all, the founder and CEO of a group called Sugar Gamers. Now, this started out as a group for gamers, both top shelf and wannabes, and now it's evolved into something that includes seemingly everyone in between, but also so much more. It's an in-depth interview you'll want to catch. Also, a well-known company in this space, Razer, very prominent at CES every year. This is a company that is focusing on display, immersion, and is very clear about its purpose to build a better ecosystem for the gamer. All that is coming up on this edition of CES Tech Talk. It is a pleasure today to have with us Keisha Howard. She is founder of Sugar Gamers, but really so much more to her narrative beyond just that one title. Keisha, it is lovely to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> well, you know, we usually start our conversations with what's going on right now, and we love looking into the future, of course, but uh, I'd be doing you a, a disservice not to start at the beginning because your backstory is pretty remarkable. Growing up in Chicago and a fairly rough spot where you, your parents didn't want you out after dark, not very conducive to getting into the tech world in the gaming space. At least that's how it would seem from the outside looking in. Um, I mean, it was really interesting. Like, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I was raised by my grandmother. But she was very much a, a worry ward. And um, I was also a very introverted kid. So what ended up happening completely by accident is that uh, my older brother would always get video games, and he was my only friend when we were growing up. So video games and technology was something that he originally was interested in, but by participating with him in these things that he was uh, so passionate about, we were able to bond, and I was able to like get into these things in that way. So video games became like my first sort of entryway into like the world of the 
future and technology and things of that nature. <laughs> what was what was the real appeal there, Keisha, that, that drew you in? I mean, yes, your brother's doing it, and yes, you're around each other a lot of the time, but there had to be a hook there, right? Something tapped into your passion. Well, I mean, there was an escapism element of it, and, you know, being able to actually be immersed in a narrative that I can engage with in, in different ways. So, uh, I was an avid reader as a kid, so video games to me represented the next level of that because it wasn't just as like um, passive as watching TV, and it was uh, it, it had all the the special effects of like something in an action movie. Plus, if it was a great game, it would have a great narrative. So the escapism quality, uh, the immersion in a narrative was like really really uh, uh, it did it for me. What is it like being? I'd imagine somewhat isolated, I, I think that's the right term, as a young you know, African-American, a teenager in a very urban setting, doing something that very few of your friends or peers, if anyone, is doing and has a passion for. Um, it, was, it was hard, uh, definitely when I was younger, and isolation is the accurate word for it. Um, you know, there were other boys that played video games, of course, but None of my, you know, none, no girls, and the girls, as a matter of fact, in my school actually thought I was very weird uh, for, you know, being so interested mm -hmm. in video games. And, and let's fast forward a few chapters. Um, you're in the professional world. You're doing well. You're in, in, in real estate, as a matter of fact. When does the door really open for you professionally to get into the tech space and, and realize that, you know, this is more than just a hobby. This is, this is a passion. I mean, so I, I I was in real estate, and um, I actually wanted to be an architect. So I would use uh, AutoCAD, which I think now is Autodesk, uh, which is used in so many different different uh, forms. But uh, in like I, I worked for a real estate developer. Seeing the process of how they kind of used the same sort of programs that were used in video games to demonstrate what this development would look like. And I was just like, wow. So like it, it started to kind of click then, like to just see like the, how technology was being used in real estate. Um, and then the recession hit, right? So before I could really like get deep dive into how that would all work for me, the recession hit and everything that I had worked for up until that point disintegrated with the economy. Uh, so like I was left with sort of nothing, and I, on a fluke, just was looking on Craigslist and saw an ad for, uh, to be on a, a show called Ultimate Gamer. Um, I was accepted to, to I, 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 I answered the ad, was accepted for tryouts, and at the end of those tryouts, they were like, okay, basically, you're an awful gamer. You're, <laughs> you're, you're terrible. You're not good at this. So, I, and then when I come back to Chicago, and um, I'm just kind of upset because one of the reasons why they really sort of wasted so much of my time, uh, you know, during these trials, because so they kept me the entire time and didn't tell me until the very last minute that I wasn't going to be able to take advantage of this opportunity. And um, I, they wanted me because there was not many people that fit my demographic in 2007, 2008 that were self-identifying as gamers. So there weren't a lot of women. 
uh, and there weren't a lot of people of color. So like I fit that sort of diversity checkbox mm -hmm. for the show and they still didn't want me. So I, I come back to Chicago and I'm like, I'm going to start my own thing then. Um, actually, I didn't even start there. I came back to Chicago and I looked for an organization and this organization needed to just have a few things. Number one, it needed to be in the Midwest. Uh, two, it needed to include women and people of color. Three, it had to include gamers that weren't just competitive. So I wanted to have a competitive element to it, but I didn't want that to be the foundation of the, the organization. I right. This isn't a professional. This isn't a professional league or or status symbol. It's it's by definition inclusionary, right? In terms of the will and the passion of the people who want to be involved. Exactly. So um, I would never have started Sugar Gamers if this already had existed. Uh, I would have joined that organization and just been there. Um, but what surprised me is that nothing like this existed. And I didn't think it was that unique of an idea, actually. Um, <laughs> and so then I put out my own Craigslist ad for women to join this community, and I got so many responses. And in, in addition to the responses, uh, a lot of women shared that, like, oh, man, this sounds so cool, but I'm not good at games. Oh, I would love to be around, but I don't have a system. I love games, but I only like puzzle games. Can I still be a part of this? And I sort of happened upon a void. There was a gap in what we were all talking about because there was nothing for these casual people or these people who just wanted to learn about this space. There was no community for them to belong to. You were either a hardcore gamer or you didn't have a community. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's how Sugar Gamers came about. So it I promise like, I promise yeah. we would get back to the present and then the future but what is Sugar Gamers today then Keisha in terms of, of knowing where it started and what your original intention was and how it fits in um, to an atmosphere that is so different than what this this space was in 2007 Oof um, well Sugar Gamers now it's it's completely inclusive uh, originally started it just for women um, but, uh, you know, upon meeting so many different people that have overlapping challenges, I opened it up to everybody who just believed in our mission of uh, being inclusive. Um, so with that being said, Sugar Gamers has actually turned into a tech advocacy organization for underserved demographics, uh, specifically in the video game space. And the reason why is because, there, again, there isn't, like, something bridging the gap between the people who are already like super hardcore into it and they're comfortable in that space and the people who don't know. And it's very intimidating to be ignorant of something that is so highly discussed and so well publicized, but people don't know and they need like a warm sort of introduction to what this is without like feeling shame or without feeling like, you know, they're going to be, sort of looked at uh, in a negative light if they don't come to the to the table like uh, just knowing everything that there is to know about the space. So the advocacy comes in like, okay, like now we can share these opportunities with people who might not have known that this space is for them too. Because if you don't have the representation or if you don't have like a warm 
you know, environment to learn, then you're going to be less inclined to try. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have this remarkably diverse audience, and I don't mean just by by self-identification, but diverse audience in, in, in the spectrum you just described, Keisha, which is some people are interested in gaming but aren't very good, and others, I'd imagine, are exceptionally good at it and, and, and want to instruct, not just learn. So what do you do with all this data? Uh, not too long ago on, on, on here on CES Tech Talk, we had Congressman Will Hurd out of Texas, who is a dedicated techie, and one of his favorite uh, turns of phrase is that data is the coin of the realm. So you have a, a more casual form of data, but this remarkable subset of uh, a social group around video gaming, what do you do with that? That's, a, that's potentially a lot of power and a lot of influence. It is. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing how challenging it is to, like, really articulate that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, like, because at the end of the day, it's not even about social responsibility. If you're a company, you want to sell your product to as many different types of people as possible. So your marketing needs to be universally uh, compelling. But if you're leaving out groups of people because of your oversight or because, you know, like you always did something this way, so, you know, radically changing that would, you know, be detrimental or whatever, I you, there's money that's being lost because you're not including, you know, potential consumers. So that's one, you know, thing that we do with the data, which is like do some consulting. Uh, two, we stay immersed in the community. So, you know, everybody that's involved with the community is like pretty visible. So it's kind of, ha it has that boy band effect. So <laughs> in, in, in the good way, right? Not, not the yeah. spin off the single acts, right? <laughs> right. It's like there's somebody for everyone's sensibilities. So, <laughs> You know, and, and, and it's like, we don't, we're not like diversity and it's just like women or people of color. It's literally everyone. You're a CES veteran, been a number <laughs> of times, um, and that is access into in, to the future. And, and you pick your, your tech sector that you want to explore. But sticking with video games, what's, what's the value you get out of going there? I'm sure you get pretty amped up about it for, you know, a few weeks beforehand. But, but what is it that, that you find and that you, well, I should say that you seek and then you find at CES each year? Well, I mean, first of all, CES is hands down my, my favorite event each year. It's like something that's for me, it's like personal to me, so I try not to like really work it. CES for me is like going to college in five days. <laughs> like, there's so much to learn. You, you have like people from all over the world with all this energy, this, you know, sort of cacophony of of ideas and, and noise and lights and sounds and, it, and it's, it's pretty, you know, overwhelming and spectacular, but really it's like a crash course education in what's happening in the tech world. So for everyone who's listening, when you come to CES 2020 and when you see someone with an immense smile on their face, just, just <laughs> radiating sunbeams. That is going to be Keisha Howard, chances are. She is the founder of Sugar Gamers, but, but so much more. And Keisha, it, it, it's a pleasure to, to get your perspective on this and to hear such an uh, authentic and passionate ambassador for the tech and the gaming sector. Really appreciate your time today. I appreciate being 
able to share this with you. Like, I'm always excited to talk about CES. Razer is a gaming company that is known to put a specific focus on gamers themselves. And joining us now to talk about that experience and the industry in general is Kevin Allen. Kevin, good to have you with us today, sir. Thank you so much, Tyler. A pleasure to be on this uh, podcast. So Razer focuses on the gamer. Uh, great mission statements. Uh, explain that a bit. How would you have that play out? Well, you know, the gamer needs a lot of different gear and services to make the entire gaming experience a, an enjoyable one. And we make components and hardware and software and services that support all of that, right? Whether it be a keyboard or a mouse or a headset, the laptops that, that power the games, and even so far as the new streaming devices that allow them to put their content out there on the internet for everyone to see. And uh, we, we even have services like our chroma system that allows them to control lighting inside the room and, and even with all their various components that really immerse, make the gaming experience more immersive, more enjoyable, more, more um, let's say emotional even. Uh, an interesting point. So what is it that drives emotion for the gamer in Razer's mind? Is it, is it the uh, tactile experience? Is it the Im immersion in the game itself? Is it, is it simply as simply simple as the graphics and making them as lifelike as possible? I mean, it's, it's all the above, but, you know, starting from that tactile experience, like you mentioned, you know, mechanical gaming keyboards are, are sort of a, a gold standard. We innovated even last year with an optomechanical using a, a laser-guided switch, so the laser actually actu actuates the switch, and that's called the Huntsman. So innovating in small ways like that that make the gaming experience more, uh, more higher performance, you know, quicker actuation, more accurate, uh, higher, higher levels of DPI for the sensors that are in our mice uh, that make their, the accuracy and the precision of movements within the game so that the gamer is physically in control. They feel like they're in control. And when they feel like they're in control, they feel like they're reaching their, their optimal gaming level, right? So they're, they're always wanting to level up. Like that's, a, that's a phrase that's used in gaming, leveling up, right? Yeah. And, and then immersion is, is, is lighting and audio as well. So, you know, all the above, we, we, we touch all those different areas. Let's pull out a sec, Kevin, to the entire gaming sector. And uh, clearly the, the, the pace of innovation is, is moving at lightning speed, right? Highly competitive industry, but highly innovative as well. What is your view or, or, or snapshot of where the industry is right now and the, and the experience that you're delivering? That's a great question. And I, I think that it's, it depends on which type of gaming you're talking about. In the, in the case of, for example, mobile gaming, one thing that's been a trend over the past year and will continue is mobile gaming delivering AAA titles in a mobile format, right? So they're taking games like PUBG and Fortnite and bringing them to the mobile platform that allow gamers to experience it when they're on the go as well as when they're at home. And those AAA titles allow them to kind of follow the IP or the, they, so they call it the IP, the characters, the same storylines that they want to be a part of or the same groups they want to play with or the same, you know, you know, ecosystem of that game, they can play in various platforms, whether it be 
PlayStation, Xbox, on the PC or on the mobile device. And we have the Razer Phone 2, which is the fastest uh, and, and most applicable mobile device for, for, for gaming of that sort, which have a 120 hertz refresh rate display that gives you that crisp movement of every single character in the game. So how did you decide to move in that direction, which is uh, a device distinctly designed for the mobile gamer? Was it based on growth uh, numbers of, of, of demographics in general, or is it uh, direct conversations and, and um, anecdotal evidence from folks who say, I need more out of my phone because I'm gaming so much on it? Well, mobile gaming, you know, just based on downloads and based on number of titles that were available, we saw we we definitely saw a trend in that space, and it's and it's going to continue. You know, whether or not we we have the devices that you know, there's there's new devices from competitors that that validate our original innovation of delivering a mobile gaming smartphone, and now there's competitors that have brought out uh, other devices, and the accessories that will go along with those devices are just as important. Like, how do you interface with that device? Um, are, there, are there different ways? We have a, a mobile controller, so you can use like a console-style controller called the Raiju Mobile with your, with your smartphone. So, and that, that applies to any uh, Android-based smartphone. And so there's other, you know, things that we were looking at, like the, um, the number of, of people that we had that were signing up on mobile devices playing mobile games. And, you know, we have a Razer ID, which, which we have access to seeing the logins of where they're logging in from. And we can see that there's definitely a trend of people using mobile devices to play more and more games and, you know, and, and more hours of gaming even. Another area of growth that we've seen, and I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, at least in terms of device ownership, is virtual reality, VR headsets. Uh, we saw something like 35% year-over-year growth in terms of U.S. households uh, that own a VR headset between, uh, you know, the la across the last 12 months, I think is the right time frame to use. Um, immense potential for what that could mean for uh, a, a panoply of sectors, but gaming especially, when, and when you get into Razor's emphasis on immersion, Kevin, that seems like an especially ripe area. Absolutely, and we, what we have right now is we have the laptops that power that entire VR experience. So all of our laptops that we produce, the Blade 15, the Blade 17, uh, Razer Blade Pro 17-inch are VR compatible. They're more than VR capable, in fact. And, you know, in order to engage with that, that, that demand, that high demand of graphical interface, you need to have a, a powerful laptop, a razor blade that has an RTX, NVIDIA RTX graphics card that is, you know, delivering high level of graphics, incredible speed. And, uh, and so there's, there's different devices that you can, you can connect to it. And there's a new game that just came out called, um, Trover Saves the Universe that's available on PC or you can play it in VR. So that's now another trend is giving users the choice of whether they want to engage with the game on a normal PC environment, on a big screen TV, or in VR. So you mentioned Fortnite earlier, Kevin. Um, great touch point there and the standpoint that all of the elements you've been talking about can, in, in a sense, fold up 
into one topic, and that is platform and the growth of streaming as the platform of choice for gamers seemingly across every demographic you can come up with. That's right. And and now even beyond streaming the their gameplay is now they're able to even stream games with the news announcements from Google's uh, new Stadia service and Microsoft xCloud, which was announced uh, this week, that are new platforms that allow you to play games even with a non-high-powered device. So you can connect to servers that, that power those games, and then they deliver that content via streaming, almost like you're streaming Netflix uh, or Hulu, and you're playing those games sort of remotely. And that's going to that's gonna be a different trend. Uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. It certainly is going to be something that requires a lot of future development in terms of the server technology on one end, the latency between the server and the device. And, you know, there may be additional devices that have to come out to support that, whether it be controllers or the new router technology that, that increases the latency in a Wi-Fi connect, connection, etc. Let's talk about being on the ground uh, at, at CES, Kevin, and the strategy for Razor, what you're looking for there. And I preface it by saying, to me, it's among the more eye-catching displays and exhibits when you're there. The, the logo is iconic, and it's almost like you're entering, um, you know, when I say a video gaming world, you, you think, of course, of being in a game. But once you set foot in your, in, in, in your booth, everything has to do with video games. And if you haven't been there, you shrug and say, well, of course, that's the company. But it's a bit more than that. You're delivering a bit of an experience. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's display technology like the new Razer Raptor that we introduced at CES this year. That's a, you know, 144 hertz uh, refresh rate, 27-inch monitor for gaming. Um, whether it be the haptic experience that we demoed for attendees that allows you to experience full immersion haptics with a, a mouse, a wrist rest, and even a chair that has haptic technology inside of it um, that's all connected to the, to the game itself. And those types of experiences are only possible in a real, in a real, in a real world scenario where you get people on a show floor, you get to engage with them, demo those types of technologies, and really convince them that your brand has something to offer. And that's the level of innovation that Razer wants to always bring to the marketplace and why CES is so important for the brand because it's the perfect place to bring those types of things. You know, in 2017, we had a product called Project Valerie, which was a three-screened laptop. You know, in 2018, we introduced the integration of our Razer Chroma lighting technology with Philips Hue, so that you can get full lighting immersion inside your room when you're playing games. And these types of partnerships and announcements of technology innovation are best placed in that show. So, final question for you, Kevin. How much can you predict looking ahead to CES 2020, not just for Razer, but what you expect to see or what you're most excited about from a, a vertical standpoint there at the show? I, w I would say within, within gaming, 5G uh, technology is really going to be um, an important pillar of the future of gaming uh, because connectivity is so important, especially as we talked about mobile gaming whether it be Wi-Fi or 5G, 
is really powered by the connectivity you have to whether it be the streaming service or the the internet of others, uh, the other people you're playing with, the esports competitions that are taking place worldwide. So 5G is going to be something really big. Display technologies is always going to continue to improve. Something we we introduced this year was 240 hertz refresh rate displays, OLED panels on our laptops. This is something that will continue to to grind. And whether it be curved displays, you know, there was there were curved smartphones this year, right? We we don't know where that's going to go, but curved curved screen technology, 5G, and I would say just the entire ecosystem, being able to bring stuff together, whether it be streaming that content um, or connecting players and competitions worldwide in real time, statistics, uh, those kinds of things are really going to help the industry grow and help gamers really achieve their best results. Ladies and gentlemen, start your consoles for CES 2020. Kevin Allen is with Razer at the forefront of the gaming industry in a sector that just continues to grow year over year. Kevin, appreciate your time and take, my friend. Thank you so much, Tyler. All right, next time on CES Tech Talk, if you think gaming is ripe for disruption, think about the sectors of blockchain and cryptocurrency, often intertwined. Great interviews coming up on our next episode, including a look at a young founder and CEO who had nothing to do with the financial or tech sectors, but found his way in thanks to the lure of cryptocurrency. One day, uh, especially during the boom, um, you know, I had a lot of people coming to me saying, hey, Dimitri, you know, how do we buy this cryptocurrency thing? All right, we want you to be CES ready. so. Download the CES app. You can build your personal agenda, favorite exhibitors, also get the speakers you want to follow, and sync up in real time across all your devices. And a reminder, CES 2020, January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas. The information you need is at ces.tech. That is ces.tech. As always, none of this is possible without our true rock stars, executive producer Tina Anthony and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. You all are the best in the business. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon.